Welcome back to another episode of the Academics Podcast. I am your host, Justin D. Barnett. This episode is really dope. I got a chance to visit Media Arts Lab, uh, Mal for Good to be more specific. I got a chance to sit down and interview Tyler Kirsch, who is an ACD at Mal for Good. For those that don't know, an ACD is an Associate Creative Director, really talented, really smart, gives a lot of great information, drops a lot of gems in this interview. Um, just a little background on Mal for Good for those that don't know. In 2015, TBWA Media Arts Lab launched a second business division called Mal for Good, which is dedicated to purpose-based work. It was born out of the vision from Media Arts Lab Chairman Lee Cloud. Mal for Good delivers innovative, inspiring models of brand building, ideas, storytelling, and social movement models. Mal for Good focuses on clients and projects that help brands do good in the world. Clients include XQ from Emerson Collective and Conservation International. Mal for Good is headquartered here in Los Angeles and works with the TBWA network of offices around the world. So without further ado, here is your interview. This is Tyler Kirsch, ACD at Mal for Good. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Academics Podcast. I'm very excited about today's interview. Um, I'm a really big fan of, of Media Arts Lab and you know what's evolved from that with Mal for Good. Um, I've been very curious to you know talk to someone from here and see exactly what goes on in these doors. Um, they're known to be a very secretive company, so I get to you know step foot inside of here one time and, and talk to uh, the very talented Tyler Kirsch, who's a associate creative director here at Mal for Good. So, Tyler, how are you? Good man. Thanks so much for having me. No problem. Very very excited to to chat with you today. I'm a fan of the fan of the pod. Thank you. Thank you. So I mean, let, let's start with um, you know you're an associate creative director at Mal for Good. Um, can you explain exactly what it is that you do? Yeah. Well, as an associate creative director, we I work with a partner. Right. Every creative team is copywriter, art director, but we really take the strategic brief and try and bring it to life, come up with interesting ideas, uh, create some emotional connections. I mean, I think that the big thing when you think about, you know, being a creative in general is how do you tell a brand story? When you really kind of boil it down, it's about kind of, advertising is all about communication. And it's like, what's going to resonate with people? What's going to allow them to kind of connect with these entities in a real human way. So as a creative director, um, it's kind of getting the brief and then whether it's coming up with a, a big platform that could exist for you know years into the future, whether it's coming up with a specific execution, uh, like you know a TV spot or coming up with building a website for a company. I mean as what we're really doing is is coming up with those creative ideas, brainstorming, you know, throwing a lot of stuff at the wall and then um, taking that and, and presenting it directly to the client. So, you know, the difference between being, you know, a junior copywriter, or, you know, copywriter, or senior copywriter and being an associate creative director is a lot more interaction with the clients. It's a lot more, um, you know, presenting the work and also guiding junior teams or younger teams and kind of overseeing from a more managerial position um, the different ideas that they have and trying to kind of guide and shape that work as well. Okay. So, I mean, you started off with, um, you know, you received the creative brief. Personally, like, what's, what's your style of, of um, what's the first thing you do when you get the brief? Like, how do you break it down? Do you have a certain, you know, regimen that you go through? or? Yeah, I mean, yeah I mean, for me, it's, like, if you look at the brief that I get during the briefing, 
at the end of it, it's just covered in all kinds of words and notes. I mean, I'm just like scribbling down first thoughts. I like to try and go in cold. So it's like sometimes the, the team will send the brief out early and like maybe I'll flip through it, but I won't dive too deep into it because I think that's an area where like a strategist really has the ability to inspire during that briefing. And oftentimes, you know, it's a word that I pick up on or it's a phrase that they say, and maybe it's not even in the brief, but you know, through all this research that the strategists have been doing, the planners have really been gathering, they learn so much. And to distill that all down into a single page or, you know, a single document is hard sometimes. So as they're talking, as they're really kind of going through what this project or this uh, assignment is going to be, I oftentimes find little nuggets that like inspire me or give me a thought. So I'll be like writing stuff down throughout the entire briefing. Sometimes it makes no sense. Sometimes it's an actually like it's an idea. Sometimes it's like a tagline. Sometimes it's um, a specific execution or like a, a media placement. It's like oh, we could do a we could do a really cool partnership with Netflix here, or we could do something really interesting on Instagram Live. Like it can really be anything. And then after the briefing, I'll go back and just spend a lot of time kind of doing like free association thinking. So like, you know, sometimes I'll work with my partner directly in this stage, but also I think it's really beneficial to kind of separate and have, you know, each person kind of go and do their own thinking, put their first thoughts down onto paper. Really like in a lot of ways, I think I said like throwing stuff at the wall. It's like, there's no bad ideas. There's no wrong answers at this stage. It's like, where's your brain going to go? What are you going to come up with here? And like, how is this assignment going to come to life in different ways? So like, I'll usually start a Google Doc and then just have like, I don't know, multiple pages of just random thoughts, like just really trying to explore as many ways into the assignment as possible. And then I'll start to go in and I'll do like, I'll start to do my research because I think it's really important, like in advertising so much of the time, even if you're working on like a product that everyone knows, if you're working on like Nike, you know, there's a world behind, you know, the sneaker that you might be launching or the athlete that you're working with. And when you start to really kind of dive into those kinds of conversations or that kind of research or those kinds of articles, it can totally kind of push you off into a different path. So I think it's like that combination of me just like using my completely um, like untrained brain and being like, all right, where's my mind going to take me and where's this creative process going to take me? And then starting to bring in a lot of different other inputs or different resources or different articles and stuff like that and see how they start to combine and like where that nets out. And then my partner and I will, you know, come back together and we'll look at what we both come up with. I'd say like 80% is total crap. <laughs> um, you know, you kind of like, Sometimes you got to be like, oh, this, I know this isn't fully fleshed out, but like, this is what I'm thinking. Or, you know, she'll be like, well, you know, I think there's something there, but I don't think it's there yet. Or we're both just like, oh, damn, that's awesome. This is definitely one of those that we want to, we want to kind of kick around and see where we can push it. And yeah, I mean, that's like the, like, those are the early stages where like, for me, the more that I can kind of just like see where see where my mind takes me and see where just like the brief inspires me to go yeah. is really like the, the best way to kind of kick off any project. And then, you know, once you start to really get into it deeper, you got a lot of ideas and you got to try to decide like, all right, what are we going to move forward with? How are we going to, how are we going to bring this to life in different ways? Yeah. Okay. So 
you're you're obviously very experienced. You can tell by the way you talk about <laughs> the way you talk about it. Um, Thanks, man. So, how, how did you get into advertising, and you know what led up to the position that you are now? Like, what was your introduction? Yeah. And, and what's your story? Well, I uh, I grew up in Portland, Oregon, and you know Portland is the home of Wyden and Kennedy. So, I had a lot of friends when I was growing up whose parents worked at Wyden, oh, nice. and you know career days, random stuff like that, where like the parents would come in. I always just absolutely loved these, you know, these people who would come in and they'd show the commercial that they just made, or they'd bring in, you know, the new prototype of whatever it is that they were designing. It like really kind of made me excited and interested in the world of of commercials and advertising and and just that general branding and marketing. Um, and then I went to the University of Oregon, and I really wanted to be a, a broadcast journalist. I wanted to be like. An announcer for the Blazers. That was kind of the end goal. But, um, you know, I got into the, I was in taking some introductory journalism classes and it really just didn't inspire me. I, I felt like so much of the stuff that they were teaching was very kind of antiquated and the way that they taught these classes, it's like we were taking these grammar classes and we were taking these, you know, writing for newspaper and magazines and all this stuff. And I'm, I was just very realistic. Like, you know, these are industries that are struggling and a lot of people say they're dying. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I think they're shifting and they're evolving, but like the things that we were being taught in these introductory classes just were not what I thought I wanted to be learning and what I thought I was getting myself into. And at the University of Oregon, the advertising program is through the journalism school. So you basically have to go through all these introductory classes to get into the ad program. So the intro classes were almost a barrier for me where I was like, I don't think I want to do this. I actually ended up switching my major six times. Mm. And then I came back around eventually to journalism because I knew some, some friends who were in the advertising program and the things that they were doing were so cool to me. So I was like, all right, I got to give this another shot. Um, I feel like I should say that the program at Oregon has completely changed. And now those intro classes are way more future focused. It's like, learning how to create podcasts, learning how to dive into digital media, photojournalism, like a lot of really important skills that I wish I would have learned, but they kind of switched that up after I got into the school. So, you know, you go through all these ridiculous research paper classes and these grammar classes and ethics classes, which are all important things to know. But for me, I was like, I just want to get to the good stuff. Mm -hmm. And I had, uh, there's the head of the program there, Deb Morrison. She's absolutely amazing. And she worked at University of Texas before she went to University of Oregon. And she taught a ton of people that ended up going out and being part of the advertising industry. They moved to places like New York and Seattle and L.A. And... When she went to Oregon, she made it a point to be bringing those former students back and finding ways to really kind of give you that real-world experience and that window into what it's like to actually work in the advertising industry. Because, like we were talking about before we started, um, I think that there's a real big difference between like the things that you're learning when you learn from a textbook or when you're in a classroom and when you actually get into the real world and when you're kind of doing it firsthand. And to have those kinds of examples and those kinds of speakers that came down and and kind of shared their work with us and shared their process and kind of opened our eyes as students to the realities of the industry was really inspiring to me. So I, I kind of knew right away that it was something that I really wanted to pursue and that I wanted to to 
to push on. So every year they take the students out to New York for the one show student competition. Mm -hmm. And I got to go out there when I was both a junior and senior at Oregon and just like loved the energy of the city and like how to be able to see the work that was there and kind of being displayed was really inspiring. And I think that was one of the things that like, I'll never forget. I got this, like, you know, the, there's that Lurzer's archive, which is like all like amazing kind of like art direction. It's just like a book where you can kind of go through and they'll feature ads and like, just to see some of those ads, I was like, how that, like, where did that come from? Like, how did someone come up with this kind of stuff? So I knew that I wanted to be like doing something creative, finding a way to be like communicating and kind of, telling stories for brands in interesting ways. So as soon as I graduated, I didn't have a job, but I decided to move to New York. I'd made like a lot of kind of connections over the years. I had a lot of friends that had been in the program previously that lived there. So I, you know, took the little savings that I had and I lived on some friends' couches for a couple months and I pretty much hustled and just reached out to as many people as I could. I was like, hey, I'm here, you know, I'm willing to do whatever it takes you know, entry-level position, internship, whatever, whatever it's gonna, you know, has to happen for me to be able to stay here. And it was like this random thing where like a friend of my mom, who's a realtor, had a son who went to USC and was in marketing there. So I met up with him for drinks one night and he passed my portfolio along to this recruiter who only did account recruiting, but she knew someone who did creative recruiting. So she passed me along to that person. And then the creative recruiter knew that there was this guy who she'd given a job to years earlier um, who needed some help at his shop. So she was like, why don't you just, you know, give him a call, tell him I sent you and tell him like, this one's on me, no recruiter fees. And I went in the next day and met the guy. There were a ton of people who were going away for spring break that week. They had kids that were going to be gone, so they needed some writing help. And they kind of brought me on as a freelance writer, and I freelanced for three weeks, and then they hired me on as a junior. So that's like a long-winded way of saying you never know where that opportunity is going to come from. It's like the more that you're willing to kind of like reach out to those random connections or put yourself out there or just like, you know, go to coffee, grab a drink, whatever it is with somebody that you might not really think could get you where you want to go you just you never know who they're going to know or you never know where they're going to pass you or where you're going to end up from that initial conversation yeah so from there was, was yeah. that shop was that the concept farm yeah that was the concept farm got it yeah so the concept farm was an interesting place it was these six best friends who grew up in new york and they all went their separate ways in advertising three of them became creative directors. One of them went into production, one of them went into like more account side, another into strategy. And then after these guys had been in their careers for like 10 or 15 years, they were like, what if we came back together and started our own shop? Mm -hmm. And they decided that they wanted to basically build a farm in the middle of Manhattan. So the concept farm, you walk in the doors and there's there was like a a fake cow that was there. They had gone up to upstate New York and gone to all these estate sales and they got all this reclaimed like barn wood and all these different like tools that you use on a farm. And they had basically just like decorated the entire office to feel like you're in the middle of a farm. Nice. And the whole tagline was fresh ideas harvested daily. And it was these guys who were just like having fun with their buds that they grew up with and trying to like do some cool work in the middle of you know, the big New York ad scene. And it was a great way to kind of be introduced to the industry because 
I'd done some smaller internships when I was in Portland, but to really kind of get into, um, you know, the world of advertising, I think it was like 40, maybe 45 people when I was there. And, you know, you wear a lot of hats. So it's like, sure, I was hired as a junior copywriter, but I would sit with the strategist. Sometimes the strategist was gone, so we'd have to come up with the strategy ourselves. Or, you know, there aren't that many people on the production team, so you're working on the production. Or you're helping the account people, like, figure out how to sell those ideas through to the client. So for me, it was really beneficial coming from Oregon, which was, like, not a traditional portfolio school, um, to then be able to kind of go into a smaller agency work with this kind of core team and be able to do a lot of different things. And I think that that really solidified my love for, you know, copywriting and being on the creative side, but it also gave me an appreciation for all these other jobs that these different uh, roles play in, you know, going from the client wants something to, you know, we're gonna, now we're making it and now it's going live. Yeah. So the concept farm, you go from concept farm to DDB. Yeah. So I, what's it like going from a small shop to such a, like, a historically... Um, you know, they have a reputation of being, yeah. you know, it, a certain standard. It was, it was really exciting for me. I think that, like, I was at the concept farm for about three and a half years, and while I was there, I went from being a junior copywriter to kind of running different accounts and really taking full control over not only kind of the writing, but also a lot of the kind of creative responsibilities. And for me, I just felt like at a certain point I kind of became this... I wouldn't say like big fish in a small pond, but I just wanted to see what else was out there and what it was like to go to a larger agency. And that was, you know, DDB definitely has like a strong history. There's kind of so much of the way that our modern advertising agencies are run that started at DDB. So it was a little intimidating when I first got there, but at the same time, it was really exciting because it's an opportunity, it was an opportunity to work on some bigger brands with bigger teams that have bigger budgets. I think that, you know, being at the smaller shop where you got to get real scrappy and sometimes you got to, you know, make every single dollar count for as much as you can, you know, it, it definitely made me more strategic when I got to DDB where it's like, okay, now if we have a larger budget, if we have more money to play with, or if we, if we're coming up with these bigger ideas, how do we still make sure that we're getting the most out of it? So that's, that can be anything from, you know, if we're going and shooting a, a TV commercial, how do we make sure that we tack on some smart social stuff while we're there on this production? Like, how do we, how do we include, understand, like, the assets that we're going to need in order to really launch this thing in a big way if we know that we only kind of have one chance to go out there and, you know, get a crew together, get a production together and do this. So, um, I really enjoyed the kind of the change to... The, the, like the hard, I think the hardest thing was just like, I went from basically having like 35 coworkers to having like 250 coworkers. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think that when you go to a big agency, it's really important to, to kind of put yourself out there and to, to say yes to anything. It's like, there's some people that are like, oh, I'm not going to work on that brief or like, I don't want to do that client. And I really, I think it's important to have those kinds of like standards for yourself where it's like, all right, if you don't believe in pharmaceutical advertising, then like that's okay. But to say like, oh, I'm not going to work on the small social thing for Briars because there's this other cool TV thing that's happening. It's like, no, you find a way to work on everything and you find a way to do it all because you never know what kind of experience you're going to get out of that. And also like what kind of output you're going to be able to create. So that was something for me where it was, 
really important that I was, you know, not only putting myself out there in the work that I was doing at DDB, but also, you know, going out and introducing myself to people that I'd never met before. And it's like, I'm standing at the copier one day, and I'm, you know, first couple of weeks there, and I introduce myself to this guy who ends up being one of, like, the, you know, the executive creative directors. And I'm kind of kicking myself for not knowing who he was, but then it's like, all right, now we've made that connection. Mm -hmm. So I could have gone, you know, I wasn't on a project with him for eight months after, but like I would see him in the halls and I'd say, hey, and like that's just one of those connections that you never know when it's going to be like, hey, do you, you know, we need another set of hands on this. It's like, oh, that Tyler guy who was at the copier, yeah. he seems like he could probably handle some social posts that turn into working on a TV commercial, which turns into coming up with the whole brand positioning for, you know, the next four or five years. So. It was, uh, I, think, I think that it's, I really like the, the path that I took going from small to big, but I think it's different for everyone. Um, the other thing that was interesting at DDB is that primarily you're kind of working on one brand or one account. Maybe, you know, when you're a little bit younger, it's like you'll switch it up and you'll work on two or three, but, um, you know, kind of the more season that you get, you kind of take more ownership over it. And I thought that had some really kind of positive things and, and negative things around it. The positive really being like, you get to see these things through and like you really get to take the time to understand and learn, you know, what this brand is. Like I've worked on State Farm for a number of years and it's like, there's just nuances and the more that you're working on it, the more that you understand the industry that it's in or you understand the client and what they like and what they don't like or the competitors and the things that they're doing or the things that they've done, you can really try to find the best way to craft something that's gonna be unique or that's right for them. Um, at the same time, you know, if you're someone who gets like kind of easily bored or you're like, man, I just want to be like jumping around doing something else like there, I, I could, would kind of get that some way sometimes that way sometimes where I would find myself. I'm like, man, I'm working on insurance, but I also want to be doing like the USTA tennis stuff because that's really cool. But I also want to be working on the Lipton stuff because they're doing really cool stuff over there. So I think it's really just about the way that you kind of position yourself and the more that you kind of speak up and you talk to the people who are running things and the people who are in charge and you're sharing those passions that you have. And you know, if you're stuck, if you're not feeling what you're doing, like you got to talk to somebody because at a big shop, it's really easy to just kind of get swallowed up and just churn and burn and kind of just keep on doing the same thing. And it's like, if you don't tell anyone that you're not happy with what you're doing, then how are they supposed to know? At, at what point do you think someone is at a level where they can dictate the work they do? Like when should you, you shouldn't come in as a junior and say, Oh, I'm not going to touch this. Right. I should, or should you? No, I don't, I don't think that, I don't think unless you have like some ethical reason why you don't believe in something. And then I think people would honestly respect you if you were like, you know, if I don't, I don't believe in working on plastic surgery for X, Y, and Z, it's like, all right, well, hopefully there's other stuff at the agency that you can work on. But I do think that like in the early stages, it really is important to try and just work on as many things as you possibly can. I mean, one of the things that I love the most about advertising is the way that it exposes me to these industries or to these things that I never would have any insight into whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes you're working on a big technology company and you don't know anything about that technology and it's through the work that you're doing that you're learning about something like Google Cloud. Or, you know, you're working on, uh, we worked on the census when I was at DDB and that's something where it's like, a lot of people know what the census is, but when you start to really dive into it and you start to learn these 
crazy facts or these crazy nuances, like you understand how important the census really is. So I think that as a junior, someone who's coming into the industry, the more that you're willing to jump into new projects that maybe you don't know that much about or that you've never worked on before, mm -hmm. you get to learn all these different things and you might find that you absolutely love working in the telecom industry or you might really love working on sports stuff if you've never done sports before. Like you could, you could love insurance. I mean, probably won't, but like <laughs> it's very possible yeah. that like the more that you learn about it, you're like, oh, there's like really interesting ways to do that. And I think that even outside of advertising, that's made me so much more well-rounded where, you know, I can be talking to random people about an industry that I've never worked in before, but I've worked on a brand that touches that. So it's just, it, I don't know if there's ever like a, a perfect time to say, hey, I'm not going to work on this. Like even, even now, I will get pulled into projects and I try not to say no to anything because again, it's like, you never know where that's going to take you. You never know who you're going to meet, whether it's, you know, a production team that you're working with on something or the client that you're working with, even like, you know, the new creative directors or the new strategists. Like, it's all an opportunity to be exposing yourself to different people with different perspectives that inevitably will kind of change the work and hopefully make it better. Yeah. So let's actually, um, earlier you mentioned um, how you know, you took a chance on yourself, you moved to New York, slept on some couches, tried to, <laughs> tried to land some internships, eventually landed some internships. A lot of people who listen to the podcast are students who are, you know, um, in class now or interning or trying to find an internship or trying to just find a job, depending on their, their personal yeah. needs. Um, how important do you think it is for people to seek internships before landing a job? I, I think that it really all depends on the situation. Like an internship, a good internship is great. A really shitty internship isn't going to do anything good for you. Yeah. So, um, can I say shitty? Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's like an, an internship is, is going to expose you to what it's like to work in the industry. But, you know, if you're doing an internship on the account team, but you know that you want to be a creative, like that might not necessarily be the best way for you to move your career forward. Like I think that a lot of people, it's hard. They don't know exactly what they want to do when you're coming out of school. If you do, then you definitely have an advantage and there are more ways for you to be able to kind of chart your own path and figure out that, that course that you want to take to get there. But for people that don't know what they want to do, I think an internship can be really beneficial because it's exposing you to an agency as a whole. I think that if you can find job, like a find an entry level job, find like a, a junior job, at the end of the day, getting out of the classroom and getting into an agency or getting that real world experience is so valuable. And sometimes it'll teach you what you love and what you really want to be doing. And sometimes, on the other hand, it will teach you what you don't want to be doing and the things that you really want to stay away from. And I, I think that both of those are really important when you're starting your career because a lot of people have maybe some illusions or ideas of what certain things are going to be like, but until you actually get there and kind of start grinding and seeing it firsthand, you don't really know. Yeah. So like, I think that, I think that for a lot of people, an internship is, is an important way for you to kind of get that exposure. But you know, the more that you're able to kind of hone in on what is really your passion or kind of, what path you want to take within this industry, um, there are other ways for you to kind of potentially get there. 
And like for me, a big part was like, my book when I was coming out of Oregon was really, really crappy. Like it's just like, it's not a portfolio school. I think that, you know, people that go to portfolio schools are going to come out with something way more polished and that's great, but it's not for everyone. For me, I wanted to go to, you know, a big college that had awesome sports teams because I'm a huge sports fan, but also had, you know, a strong journalism school and had a, a path that I was really passionate about. So coming out of, coming out of Oregon, for me, it was like, I know I want to do creative stuff, but I don't know if the creative stuff that I've done so far is good enough to land me that job. Mm -hmm. And that's where finding other ways to be creative is really important. I mean, I think that I've done a lot of side projects. Like some of my favorite things that I have in my portfolio were side projects that were not actually for a brand that I was working on. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of ways to show your creativity. You know, it's like in the way, if you want to be a writer, the way that you, you know, write your tweets or like if you can come up with an interesting, you know, account and a cool blog or you have some weird stuff that you do on TikTok, like all this different stuff are ways that you can really show your creativity. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of places are looking for that. It's not just like, what do you have in your portfolio? It's like, who are you? What interests you? What motivates you? And then if you can align that with your creativity, it's just going to strengthen your personal brand that much more. And it's really going to help these people who are hiring you understand what it is that you bring to the table and what it is that you're capable of. That's, that's great advice. Um, I'm also curious of your perspective of like, I'm sure you see junior level talent, our interns come into an agency all the time throughout your career. You've seen it. Like, what, what do you think are the traits that, that the ones who stick around that, like, is there, are there certain things that you notice that, um, you know, probably contribute to why they go on to do good things and the people that fizzle out? Yeah, I think that a lot of that comes down to just like that kind of work ethic at a, at an early stage in the career. It's again, kind of what we talked about before. It's like wanting to be on a lot of different things. It's like, sure, it might be, might be kind of stressful. It might be really hard to be juggling like six different brands at the same time. But if you're always saying yes and you're always trying to jump in on something and you're the one who people know that they can look to if they need some extra help writing something or if they need a little bit more help, you know, designing some social posts or something like that. Like those people that are really, really um, passionate about just touching a lot of stuff and, and it, like there's this feeling that like you have to work really long hours in advertising and I think that you don't necessarily need to do that but you need to be making the time that you're that you are somewhere really count and you need to be showing people in a way that you want to be there because I think they're it's really easy to kind of just go somewhere and be like oh I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do whatever they tell me to do mm -hmm. but being really proactive and really you know going up to people and being like hey is there anything that I can work on or hey do you need help with this or you see that there's a meeting going on and like afterwards you go up to them and you're like did you get a lot of feedback like do you have a quick turnaround what can I do to help you I think those are the things that really start to set people apart um, at the same time you know coming from not a traditional portfolio school again, I found it like really, I was always being very, a lot of my ideas were super complicated and I think that the big thing is like simplify as much as you can. Like when you're really getting into like that creative space, it's like what's the most simple way that you can describe your idea? Because if you can describe it in an elevator pitch, if you can get that out there in like, you know, 10, 15 seconds and be like, this is the idea and this is how we're going to do it. That's really, really 
beneficial for the people that are the creative directors and the people that are listening to these ideas because that means all right it's simple enough for me if it's simple enough for like someone to understand quickly then it's simple enough to kind of go out into the world and you can find really unique and awesome and complicated ways to bring an idea to life but every single good idea at its core is super simple it's the kind of thing that makes people say why are there so many bad ads because the good ones, it's like, oh yeah, it's so simple. Hmm. Like, you know, it's like a, a tagline, like, just do it. I keep on coming back to Nike because I'm from Portland and I've got a lot of Nike pride. <laughs> but a tagline, like, just do it, or, you know, dream crazy, it's like, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense for this brand. But they probably poured over that for such a long time. And it's like, when you're able to come up with a really uh, tight way of being able to describe something or put it into a deck, it's just going to make it that much easier for not only the people internally, whether it's the other teams, but also when you take it to the clients, you're going to want to make sure that they are able to kind of understand exactly what it is that you're saying and what it is that you're trying to get across. Yeah. Yeah, great advice. Um, side note, what do you think about Mellow to the Blazers? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, season the season took a turn really quick for us. Yeah. So I think that this is definitely a desperation play. I'm glad that he's got another shot. They've been talking about Melo to the Blazers for a long time. So. Yeah, but he was fighting it for so long. I know. I, well, it's like nobody wants to get... There are people that want to go to Portland. I think that like Dame has definitely changed the culture, which yeah. is exciting. But I don't know. It's like that's not the answer at the end of the day. But then when you look at who we have right now, because we're so injury depleted, it's like, would you rather have Anthony Tolliver or would you rather have Melo? It's like, well, I'd rather have someone who can score and keep the defense honest even if he can't play defense. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, it's going to be, it's going to be a rough I'm glad, I'm glad he's back. I'm happy to see him play. Um, I just think he's kind of set up for failure. Right he, now just because like, they're just not no. in, the, in the place that they were last year. I know. They're like running the offense through him. It's like, man, you got to give him some time to ease you in. Know, he doesn't like, know any of the, he doesn't know the playbook. Like, yeah. what are we doing here? <laughs> but I, I hope, I wish the best for him. I like Portland. Actually, I like them. Yeah. Um, Right, Here's, this year's been weird. It's all good. <laughs> um, Hard to be a Blazer fan. Get uh, back to it. Let's get back to it. Um, now, a break from our sponsors. <laughs> Just kidding. More talking. So, what what are your thoughts on ad school? Do you, do you um, find that people who come out of ad school are more better equipped for the job? Or does, is it, does it just not I, I don't... I think that... I think that in ads, like a portfolio school, you're going to learn certain tricks that might make your job easier, right? It's like, I never, I don't think I ever took an, a copywriting class when I was at the University of Oregon. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you. when I first started my first job, I didn't even really know like how to format a script. I was like Googling it. <laughs> the day that we were presenting to the creative directors, I was like, uh, okay, what, what's supposed to be bold and like where do you put the pair I don't know it was just like I was trying to I was playing a lot of catch up but what we did spend a lot of time talking about is like being strategic and making sure that like everything comes from a very strategic place so what I found at least in my experience is, is a lot of the people that came out of portfolio schools were masters of craft and they could really make something look polished and beautiful and amazing but the ideas themselves wouldn't hold up as much. You could be like, when you really start to ask them to talk about it or when you really start to break it down, it's like, uh, well, yeah, I mean, that technolo the technology doesn't really work that way, but look at how cool this could be. So it's like, oftentimes, I think that it's important to really be able to explain your ideas 
and be able to not only say like why you did something, but why you think it's gonna work and to be able to back that up. So that's where at Oregon we call it like being a creative strategist or a strategic creative. And that's always making sure that like what you're coming up with is based in a real insight or a real truth about humans or behavior or something like that. Like every good idea comes from a truth. It has to, otherwise people are going to call bullshit on it and they're going to know it right away. So if you start with, okay, what's that insight? What's that human truth? It could be anything, right? It's like if you're talking about one of the projects I've been working on recently is this investment app called Robinhood and we're trying to get more women investing. And there are all these stats about how many women invest and why women aren't investing. And it's like, if you just start coming up with cool ideas to get women investing, that might be interesting, but it's not necessarily going to resonate with like the way that our world works. So to start with like a really strong statistic or like something that you know to be true, that gives you that launch point, that gives you kind of that starting point. And you're not always gonna have that coming from a strategist. It's not always gonna come from the brief. Sometimes you're gonna get a brief and you're gonna say, all right, this is interesting. Like, I understand what the assignment is, but I don't have that kind of truth in here. I don't have that tension. I don't have anything to really work from. So, while to kind of go back to your original question, I think that ad schools and portfolio schools, if you're a creative, I think it's a great way to kind of like jumpstart that portfolio and get that book and be able to kind of get into your first agency potentially, but I don't think that that's the only way to do it. If we go back to what we were saying earlier, there's a lot of ways to be creative. There are a ton of ways to show that you know today's modern media landscape and to, 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 to prove that you can harness it and you can come up with good ideas. And it's like at the end of the day, you know, the ads that we're making are competing against the shows that are on Netflix or Disney Plus. It's competing against the things that people are watching on Instagram or the things that people are reading when they go online. So it's like, if you can do things that make people want to watch it or if you can prove that you're, you understand our culture and you can do things in unique ways, then, you know, the days of having to come up with like a 60 second spot and three print ads and a radio spot, those are way beyond us. And now every brand and like every company is looking for what's the, what's the smartest way for us to tell this brand story. It's like the traditional ways of advertising have changed so much that being young is such an advantage because it's like, you, you, like you've grown up in this world where you're just kind of consuming media in different ways. Sometimes you don't even realize that something is like brain, being brought to you by a brand. And the more that you can kind of take that knowledge and be able to showcase that in creative ways, mm -hmm. I think that's really valuable. And then extra points if you can actually do it for a brand and you can be like, all right, maybe I'm not, you know, I'm in college right now. It's not like I have a real job in the industry, but I'm really passionate about, I don't know, let's say like Tom's shoes. It's like, can you do something really cool with Tom's that then like shows people that you understand the DNA of that brand or that you get who they are and what they do and then kind of find a unique twist on it or a unique spin on it. And you could take that to Tom's maybe, and you can be like, hey, look at this random thing that I came up with for you. Or you can take that to your next job interview and you can be like, I did this cool thing for Tom's shoes and just show that you understand, you know, these platforms in an interesting way or that, you've, that you can tap into creativity without someone telling you this is what you have to do. Yeah. 
I'd also say, like, if you are kind of going that, that non-traditional portfolio school route, it's like if you're thinking about ads, if you're trying to, like, build pieces for your book or if you're trying to, like, figure out, you know, what it is that you want to do to, like, tell these interesting stories, like, stay away from the big brands, like, that everyone knows. Like, you know, you don't need to do, like, the Nikes or the Googles or, like, any of these things, like, Ray-Ban, like, all of these these different companies, it's like they have, a lot has been done for them. So like, can you find something unique? Can you find like a cool company that you like? It's like, I don't know, just like swaying away from like the big sexy brands and doing something for things that you're passionate about, I think are really important. Okay, great, great advice again. Um, what, let's, okay, let's say you're, you're um, vetting um, applicants. Mm -hmm. You're looking at books. Yeah. What's the first thing you look at when you look at a student's book or someone's book. Do, do you have a formula for that? I like. I don't look at the resume. I'll tell you that. Okay. Yeah. So just take it. Cover letters are out of the picture too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I don't want it. I'm not gonna read a cover letter. <laughs> someone will. I'm yeah. sure someone here will. Like the hiring manager might. But like when it, when I'm actually getting sent books, like I'm gonna look at. I, I'm looking for what is like what is that core of the idea so it's like it's not it's not always going to be like oh do these you know do these comps look really beautiful but like oh do I think that that's smart is it something that hasn't been done before is it a unique twist on um, on like a more traditional problem I think that like the more kind of unexpected you can be and not just like wacky or kind of zany for the sake of being wacky or zany but like how do you how are you telling like a story that is that is clear and comprehensive through the work that you do. And I'm like, sometimes I'll look at, sometimes I'm curious to see like which brands people have worked on before. So it's like, you know, through, through that first page, it's like you've got everything lined up there. It's like, all right, maybe you've worked on some really big brands, but then I go in and I see what you've done and it's like some, something really small and I'm like, okay, that's, that's cool that you worked on that, but that doesn't do it for me. And then I, there's something that I've never heard of before, and then I click on that, and I'm like, oh, this is really awesome. I mean, because I work at Mouth for Good, I'm always curious when people are doing things that are in like the social impact kind of uh, brand responsibility world. Like, how are you kind of trying to, are you, do you care about that? And it's like, you know, certain places might not, but we certainly do, and I think that that's an interesting thing is there's a lot of causes out there. There's a lot of passion right now. There's a lot of people that, you know, activism that's happening. And it's like, are you, if that's something that you're, you know, you're interested in, how are you, how are you using that kind of creative energy to kind of integrate into the work that you're doing? Like, I, like, I think that one of the most interesting examples of copywriting for me are at all of the rallies just to see like the different posters that people make. Yeah. Right? And it's like it's I always like, love those Instagrams or those blogs where like you see the Yeah, there's just like such a range of random stuff and you're like, how who the hell like how did you even think of that? That's absolutely hilarious. Like that's an example to me of like how you can you can take something that isn't thought of as traditional advertising, but you could really showcase your writing abilities or your design skills or you could do something totally different. Like there was this a uh, blog that I saw a long time ago where this person would take uh, random street signs 
and they would totally redo them. So you'd have like a lost cat sign that just looked absolutely terrible. Mm -hmm. And then the next day they would take your lost cat sign and they would replace it in the exact same place, but they would use their awesome, you know, design and Photoshop skills to like really just like make it sing. And I think that it's, it's finding these, these kind of fun ways to, to integrate your creativity and your passion and your skill into the world that we live in yeah. and kind of see what happens with it. Great idea. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you talked about like what you look for and you look for social stuff and you being with Mouth for Good. Um, you know, what is that a requirement to work at Mouth for Good? Like, do you look at books and you have to have some type of social stuff in your past? You, do, you don't necessarily need to, but I think that like we're, we're a pretty small, scrappy group. Like, to give a little bit of background, like, Mouth for Good started from Media Arts Lab, which started from Shyatt Day. So it's basically like three steps removed from Shyatt, but it was, Media Arts Lab was created to service Apple. When Steve Jobs was launching the original iPhone, it became really clear that they needed an agency that would be able to handle all of their kind of advertising and marketing. And then years later, the people that started Media Arts Lab wanted to take the skills and the, the experience that they had and really kind of put that into um, the world in a for good way, mm-hmm. not the most eloquent way to say it, but they wanted, they wanted to basically take the experience that they had and use it for good. So they started working with different brands. It started working specifically with Apple, but as Apple has taken more of that work kind of in-house and a lot of their kind of corporate social responsibility and brand impact and brand actions are all done internally, Mal for Good has started working with a lot of other brands that care about causes, or sometimes it's working with a brand that has, you know, a, a really conscientious founder or has it as part of their DNA and figuring out how to help brands kind of find, find that purpose and communicate that purpose in a, in a creative way in the same way that, you know, if you're going to have tons of advertising dollars and brilliant brains working on Coca-Cola and working on Google and working on all these other brands, like why shouldn't these, you know, these really important impact causes or these other things have that same kind of uh, thinking? So that was kind of where it all started from, and now what we're what we're doing is is even integrating a little bit more with Shia Day and helping like the current clients that they have find that purpose and figure out how to not just say, you know, we care about X, Y, or Z, but actually, you know, put their money where their mouth is and really kind of stand for things and, and, and back that up. So I think that when you're thinking, like, if you were applying to Mal for Good, I think that it's really important to, to show or to, to make it clear that you understand that, like, advertising and branding is more than just selling a product. And at the end of the day, like, sure, sales might be important, but it's also, like, how are you how are you doing it and what else are you doing? And that's a big part of it. It's like anyone can anyone can kind of make an ad that says that they're doing good, but like how do you also start to influence these brands and make sure that they are that they are doing things that are good for the world at the same time? You mentioned that Mal, your your team is like a really scrappy team. How how is your team structured? How big is um, your it's kind of section of it's team? kind of always in flux. We've got um, you know, it's basically like myself and my partner. We're the ACDs. We report to uh, 
creative director and then um, we'll kind of bring in for a while we had some more uh, like mid-level junior level teams that were beneath us but now we're kind of doing that on maybe more of a freelance basis or we'll work within the world of Shiat to kind of bring teams in as needed so um, we have a couple account people we have a strategist we have a few producers so it is almost like this kind of down and dirty like startup within the larger um, framework of, of Shia and Mal and I think that there's when you're working in the for good world I think that there's some there's some great things but there are also some drawbacks like it's just hard because a lot of these brands have never maybe done a public facing advertising campaign together. So there's a lot of there's a lot of, you know, holding their hand and helping them understand, you know, what it means to come up with a strategic insight or like why it's important to create brand guidelines. Like all these things that like maybe they've never thought about before, but if they're really going to be serious about, you know, putting their name out there more, getting more people to understand who they are, these are kind of table stakes, the things that you definitely need to do. And if they've never done that kind of stuff before, it can be um, a, a longer process. So I think that like, for me, having the experience of having worked on more established brands for a long time is really valuable because then when you come in and you're working with a organization that's trying to rethink public high school education, or when you're working with an organization that's working, that's trying to, um, shed light on relationship abuse. While they might be really powerful organizations on their own, they might not be super strong brands. And to be able to have that experience of understanding how to build a brand or how a brand works and how a brand, brand talks and how it's different than a person or a spokesperson or just giving people a pamphlet or a PDF, the more that you're really able to make that clear and understand, and the more that you understand how that works, the more that you can help them understand how that works. Yeah. So I don't know if when I'd first come out of college working at Mal for Good would have been the most successful opportunity for me because I think that there's, there's we're teaching a lot, we're like, our, our clients are learning every single day and we're having to teach them and for me to have to be kind of learning every single, not to say that I'm not, I'm still learning every single day, but I think that like that learning curve is, is steeper when you're working in kind of the social impact, corporate social responsibility world. It's how do you take the things that this brand might already be doing and how do you ramp them up or find ways to really, you know, tell that story in a different way. So is that primarily how you guys find like new businesses? You, you kind of examine a, a company that I guess Shia is working on and say, how can what you're doing affect social change or something? That's one thing. Like, you know, we've worked on, tried to come up with different initiatives. Like Gatorade's a big client at Shia. So come up with initiatives. Like how do you, how do you really support like female athletes, that kind of stuff? Or like we work with um, Blue Diamond Almonds. It's like, all right, is there a more sustain a sustainability angle that we can take when we're talking about like almond milk or something like that. But at the same time, it's also finding other brands that are out in the world that connect with that. Like the most recent campaign that I did and worked on is for this brand called Esri. And a lot of people don't know what Esri is. It's pretty crazy. It's this technology company. They've been around for 50 years, run by this husband and wife in their 70s. Mm -hmm. So privately held, but it's one of the biggest 
companies in the world. And what they do is this thing called geographic information systems, which sounds super scientific because it is. And basically what they do is it's a, it's a platform that, that businesses and cities and organizations can basically input their data into, and it looks at all this data instead of like thousands of rows on a spreadsheet, it actually visualizes it on a map in real time. So you can look at the geographic relationships between things and you can start to see different connections and you can start to see different patterns and you can start to make sense of the world in new ways. Now this technology company, you wouldn't necessarily think that they're like, all right, what's the deal? Like why is Mal for Good working for them? But like the husband and wife are these amazing conservationists and this technology is being used to try and fight climate change, and to help pervert, uh, preserve biodiversity, and to really look at all these factors that we might not be considering and figure out how they're all connected and how they're all interrelated, so that way we can find ways to solve these really challenging problems that we're, our world is facing. Mm -hmm. So while there's, while, while there's more clear stuff, like, oh, we're working, you know, we might be working with an organization to try and, you know, uh, do a project on criminal justice reform, you're like, okay, I see where that makes a lot of sense in like the for good world. We also are trying to find different companies that are doing things that are trying to make the world better and either amplify their voice or help them figure out exactly what it is that they want to be saying and what it is that they're doing. Yeah. So you've been in the industry for you know a few years and you've seen a change, I'm sure. Do you see it going, like, where do you see it in the future? Let's say five years from now, what, what, what new things, what mm. trends do you think are going to carry over to the future? That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think, that, I think that the biggest trend is, like, in the world that we live in now, there are just, there are just so many options. Like, there's so many eyes on so many different things. So when you see brands now that are being really smart about how they're telling their stories, partnering with a show on Netflix where they're going to you know, spend 10 episodes doing it in a really interesting, engaging, docu-style way. Or when you, like, when you see brands that are going onto platforms that they haven't necessarily been on before but are experimenting there and trying to figure out their place within that world of like, all this other content. I think that like, the biggest change that I've seen is just like, the explosion of social media and the way that everyone is constantly looking at something and it's like that is at the end of the day that's our competition it's every single meme that you've seen it's every single awesome show that you've seen on Netflix recently it's every every you know every random like headline in a news show that takes advantage of like something completely random but it's like when people are looking at something that means that like they are that's that's less time of them looking at traditional advertising. Yeah. Do, you, do you think ad agencies are, are taking advantage of that, are jumping onto the trends, or do you think they're late to it? I think that I, I think that a lot of them are late to it, but I don't think that it's that means that they can't do it. Like, if you saw at the World Series, there was that guy, the Budweiser guy, right? And it's like, Budweiser immediately, Bud Light, was it Bud Light? They like, Bud Light. yeah, but they immediately are able to kind of like capitalize on that and make t-shirts of this guy. It's like, it's understanding that like, our audience is culture and like these brands are part of culture and finding that specific place for the brands that we work on to exist in culture. And I think that the faster that the faster that we can do that, the more successful we'll be and the more 
these companies will see the need for advertising agencies because I think that like a lot of them are like, oh, well, these ad agencies, they still have these old models where they, you know, charge a certain way or they do things a certain way. But it's like, I think, you know, reacting at, the, at that quick speed and being able to like really be culturally relevant is really important. It's something where I feel like the most interesting advertising that I've seen in my career has always been culturally relevant and kind of extended beyond just like the world of advertising. A lot of times I'll like share stuff with my friends who are not in advertising at all and they'll be like, oh man, that's awesome, that's amazing. Like, I never saw that or I like, I didn't know that like this brand is doing that. And I think that that's just like the reality of this world that we live in now where even when there are really cool things that are happening, people don't necessarily know about it. So how do you, how do you make sure that in, you know, as an advertising in advertising or at, you know within this industry that we're constantly pushing those um, I don't know pushing those boundaries and making sure that like the eyeballs are are going to the right places yeah how do you feel about um, I mean do you think eventually companies are going to try and bring all of this advertising in-house um, in a sense of like I don't know I know you know Mal recently cut all these jobs and yeah. supposedly they're going in-house do you yeah. think that's like the beginning of something big or is, do you think that's just kind of well, I think, I think that there's, it's almost like, I don't know, in a way it's like government where it's like those checks and balances, right? It's like when you bring everything in-house, you end up with that horrible Pepsi commercial that Kendall Jenner did, yeah. right? And it's like, I think that, that to be able to have an outside perspective, like these brands know themselves better than these advertising agencies will ever know them. But sometimes you get so in the weeds or you start talking to yourself. And I think that like the really important part of, advertising agencies is to give that kind of perspective and to be able to kind of look at it from an, as an outsider and say, you know, yeah, you guys might be absolutely amazing. You guys might be killing it, but there's another company that's doing things in a really unique way. And what if we did stuff that's a little bit closer to that? So I don't think that ad agency, I think that ad agencies will continue to evolve and shift and the role might change, but I think there's always going to be a place for these agencies to be able to bring different perspectives and really look at things in a, in a, in a unique way that's different than the, the company itself. Because mm. like when you, you know, even like when you work, when you work somewhere, it's like you see that company different than when you are looking at them from the outside. And I think that we can use that as an ad, like as an industry to our advantage. And, and always kind of be providing that, that different kind of spin or that different perspective that these brands so desperately want. I think that more than anything, it's like we have to push our clients even further. I think that like, you know, with more people going in-house, those people will be able to do the things that have already been done before. But I think that like where the superpowers in advertising come from and that magic is like, let's do something that's never been done before. Let's do something that you've never thought of or that your team said couldn't be done. And if we're able to really bring those kinds of ideas to the table and push our clients in those ways, then there will always be a place for agencies to, to add value to these brands. Yeah. One thing that I discovered like in my personal time um, outside of the classroom is, you know, I wanted to be in the creative department initially. I wanted to be in copy. Um, and then I find out that, you know, in the agencies, copywriters are usually paired with an art director. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned earlier that you had a partner. Mm -hmm. um, you know, did, do you, do people come into agencies or apply for jobs with the partner or do you, are you for self and then you get in and you're paired with someone? Like how, how does that usually work? Yeah. I, I mean, it totally depends. First of all, shout out to my badass partner, ACD, <laughs> art director, Christina Kirkless. 
who's probably not listening. But um, I, uh, it, it's definitely one of those things where it depends on the situation. I have actually never uh, interviewed with a partner or gone to a new job with a partner. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's just there are interesting life things that happen where you know, you might have a team that's worked together for five years and then someone's you know boyfriend or husband gets a job somewhere else and they have to move and now you know that that other partner doesn't want to move there so then they're they're riding solo so I think that like there there are some really nice benefits when you've worked with someone for a long time but I do not think it's a prerequisite whatsoever to get into the industry I mean if you have talent if you're passionate if you come up with good ideas and you work hard like an agency will find a place for you and they'll find someone for you to work with. Yeah. And, um, I, and I, I personally, like in the beginning of my career, I really liked not having like that set partner because you get to, I got to work with different art directors who had different styles, whose brains work differently. And it's an interesting you know, way to kind of tackle creative challenges in different ways when you're working with, with people who don't think the same all the time. I think the longer that you work with that same person, you know, you can you can get on the same page quicker. You can work faster. Um, you figure out like the best way that that kind of creative relationship works, and there are definitely benefits to that. But at the same time, you know, being able to just like get thrown with some random person who thinks entirely different than you, get thrown in with a random person <laughs> who thinks entirely different than you, and then um, just like see what comes out of that can be really valuable. And that's the same thing. I, like, there's a tendency at certain agencies and in certain places to be like, oh, only the creatives are able to come up with creative ideas. Mm-hmm. But in reality, like everyone that's underneath this roof, everyone that's working at an agency has value creatively. I mean, everyone understands the brands that they're working on. Everyone knows what the assignments are. And everyone brings something different to the table. And I think that even if you're not technically a creative you know, if you're a strategist, if you're a a producer, if you're an account person, it's like, that doesn't mean that your opinion doesn't matter. In fact, sometimes it matters even more. Mm -hmm. And there might be some people that are resistant to that. And they're like, no, we have to, we have to kind of stay in our lanes. But the more that you're kind of sharing these ideas or finding the right ways to like bring them up or talk about them or explore them, I think that there's always the benefit, like the best ideas come from the most random places. And that isn't just like the weird corners of the internet that you might be diving into dig hole, big deep holes in, but it could also be, you know, the person that you least expect on the team, the user experience person who ends up coming up with the amazing idea that ends up changing the brand forever. Yeah. What, what's your favorite part about what you do? I, my favorite part is that I'm always learning about something different. It's kind of like what I touched on before where you just never, like, every day I come in and I feel like it's, like, going to be learning about some industry that I've never worked in before. Or the fact that it's just, like, you know, there's there's always something, there's always a new platform out there. There's always, like, a new way that people are, like, looking at things. And it's just, like, that relationship with, like, human behavior and human emotion where it's, like, how do we take advantage of something? It's, like, you know, there's... That's what I loved so much when I was studying advertising is that the advertising program, unlike the newspaper track or the journal, you know, the magazine track, like we were talking about things that were, that I was using in my daily life, like not to date myself, but it's like, you know, this is back when you had to have a college email address to be on Facebook. Mm. So we were like talking about, 
what things you could do on Facebook and the cool things that were happening on Facebook when all these other classes were talking about, like, I don't know, the newspapers that my parents have been reading forever. And, and now it's like, you know, it's like we're in meetings and we're talking about, like, how do you hack Venmo? Or, like, what are we going to do on WhatsApp? Or, like, all these things that are, like, part of your life, the apps that you have on your phone, the things that you use on a regular basis, like, those are the ways that we need to be finding, you know, creative uh, avenues and outlets to like tell our stories and to come up with that come up with like new ways to to use these products or make people think about these things differently in the context of our brands and that's really exciting to me is like there's always like whether it's a music festival whether it's a new artist whether it's a new you know video game that comes out whether it's a new app or you know, uh, a big cultural event that happens like all of those things are ammunition that as as like advertising professionals we can use to do our jobs. Yeah. The reverse of that, what's your least favorite part about what you do? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I think it's, I mean, I think there's just, there's the reality of like, it's a, it's a challenging industry. I mean, it's basically, it, a lot of times it's creativity on demand and the more that you do it, it's like any muscle. Like the more that you're flexing your creativity muscles, the stronger they get. Mm -hmm. But there are so many different layers that inevitably you have to work with. Whether it's the internal layers of like, you know, there's the there, there are the reviews that you have with the creative director, and then there are the internal reviews that you have with the strategist, and then you review it with the account team and then it goes to, you know, even higher up and then you go to the clients and they might have a lot of different people that are making decisions on their end. And I think that something that I wish I'd learned a little bit more before I got into this industry was just how important it is to be resilient because a lot of great ideas end up dying for random reasons or for, for things that we can't really control. And I grew up playing baseball. I think that like the baseball analogy is perfect for advertising where it's like at the end of the day, if you like in baseball, if you get a hit four out of 10 times, you are a hall of famer. You're batting 400. That means that like you're one of the best players ever. Like usually people are getting hits like two or three times out of 10. And I think that advertising is really similar where it's like you, we, in my creative like decks and like, you know, we talked about coming brainstorming and then what we're presenting, all that stuff. I might have, I might start with like 20 ideas that I'm presenting mm -hmm. and you know, by the end of the process, maybe there's four that we like, and then maybe we take one to the client and maybe they don't like that and you have to go back to the drawing board. And I think that it's, it's important to just really understand that like you can't keep, you, you can't take it too personally. At the end of the day, it's like, this is, an, this is an industry where things are very subjective mm -hmm. and people are going to like something because uh, they have some random emotional connection to it or maybe you know the person goes home at the end of the night and they show their son and their son doesn't like it for some reason and now they don't like it and the whole thing blows up. Yeah. I've had projects that I've worked on for months and months and months that kind of seem like they're almost done and then you know we're like almost finished with the whole thing and then it turns out that it it's not going to work or it doesn't get made or like a new chief marketing officer comes in and wants to do things a different way so I just I think it's one of the biggest challenges in this industry is just that you're going to get knocked down and these ideas your strategy your relationship with the clients like those things are on shaky ground yeah. and the more that you understand that like 
you can't dwell on it. It's like, sure, you can be bummed that your idea died, but like, you got to come up with another idea now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe it won't be as good when it starts, but like, you bring all these different people in and like, hopefully you can get it to that point. So I think that was a big learning experience for me was just to, to understand that like, most of the time, it's you're kind of you're it feels like you're kind of pushing a rock up a hill mm-hmm. but then once you get that rock to the very top it's like oh man this is awesome this is what it's all about yeah <laughs> um so that feeling that you're talking about like this is awesome how how have you gotten used to seeing your work in the real world and if you do like how do you feel when you see it or is it just like oh nah, whatever uh, I mean, I I know a lot of people who are very successful, and I think that they just kind of brush it off. I still think it's fucking awesome. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's one of those. I I think honestly, like one of my absolute, uh, you know, to add to what we my other favorite things in advertising. I think that one like I I love nothing more than being on set and mm-hmm. being and like shooting an ad or shooting something that that I came up with sitting at my desk or sitting at a coffee shop with my partner we were you know just shooting the shit pretty much coming up with random ideas and then you know it goes through this the whole process the client buys it then you get a production team then you start to make it better and then you get on set and you get to see this thing that started as this random idea that came out of nowhere and there are like hundreds of people that are working to bring this thing to life and you have all of these whether it's like you know, the different people on the production team or the cast or, you know, these people that are building these sets. It's like just how you can take this idea that starts out as just a figment of your imagination and actually gets made into something very real and tangible and is employing people and is like comes to life is just it's just the coolest thing to me. I I don't think I'm ever going to get tired of being able to like be on set and see an idea that I came up with come to life. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I do have a question that I didn't think about prior to this. But how much of the the execution process is the creative team involved in? Because I know you come up with the ideas, you pitch the ideas, you do this. But when you're on set, do you do you guys also control or dictate like the cast or yeah certain things yeah. like that? Yeah, for sure. So I mean, that's a that's a very big part of it. So once an idea gets sold through, mm-hmm. then it is the creative team's job to find the partners that you're going to work with to bring it to life. So let's say you're going to make a TV commercial. We start looking at director's reels and we'll work with a producer who knows lots of, has contacts at a lot of different production companies. They know a lot of different directors. They might send us, you know, 25 reels of badass directors that they think would be perfect for whatever this project or this job is. And then creatively, my partner and I will go through and we'll start to say, all right, this guy is, you know, he does lighting amazing. Or like, this is going to take a lot of visual effects. This guy's amazing at visual effects. Maybe this is all going to be around um, animation. And these guys are really killer at animation. So as, as the creative team, you are deciding who will then kind of come back and pitch their ideas of how they see it coming to life. Mm-hmm. So... We come up with the idea, the clients buy it, then we look at, let's say, the director reels. We'll pick three or four or five that we really like, and then we'll get in a call with the directors, and we will explain what the creative idea is. We'll give them the background that they need on the brand, we'll talk about what it is that we're trying to do, and then the directors will go away, they'll go with their teams, and they'll come back to us with a treatment. And that's really how they see this thing coming to life. So you could have 
five different directors that come back with five entirely different ways of bringing this commercial to life. And that's really the exciting part where you get to see now when you get these other very creative minds involved into this process, how do they start to really shape it and form it and bring their own kind of unique spin to it. And then once you pick a director that comes with like a, their own kind of production company, then you're working pretty much hand in hand with them on things like casting, on things like, uh, you know, voiceover talent. If there are uh, different assets that you need in the commercial, you'll work with like, you know, you'll pick the art department and you'll figure out like how to kind of build out that set or whatever it is. So once you, once the idea is sold through, once you pick that director, it's really kind of working side by side with them to kind of make all of these big decisions. So once you get on set, a lot of these things have already been decided. You've already picked out the casting, you've already picked out the wardrobe, you've already like locked the script. You hopefully have an idea of, you know, what the, what the shots are going to be. Um, and then, you know, we are there sitting kind of in the ear of the director. He's, we let him, you know, he or she will do their thing. And that's really important is to give the director the ability to really, you know, make it their own. But, uh, we are the keepers of the idea. So we almost become like the clients to the, to the director and to the production company where then we are kind of working with them to make sure that our vision and what we've all agreed upon comes to life. And then from there, you'll go into like post-production. So that means maybe you're going into an edit. So you'll work with the director to figure out an editor that the director really likes to work with. And then the creatives are there every single day of the edit you know, looking over the editor's shoulder, the editor might get the footage early and start to kind of do a couple takes and switch some stuff up, but then, you know, you're there being able to say, all right, what if we switch that shot or that shot, or we want it to be faster, or, um, you know, this is a really important scene for the client. We know that they really care about making sure that, like, their product is, uh, is, is portrayed in this kind of way. So it's, it's working hand-in-hand -hand with the editor then and making sure that, like, the edit gets to a good place. And all through this entire process, it's like feeding back to the clients themselves to make sure that they're totally aligned with everything, right? It's like, we pick the director that we like, we also probably have a backup. And we share the reasons why we like both of them. When we're doing casting, we share who we want to cast, but we also have a couple backups just in case there's anything that, like, you know, they see that we don't or that they're very conscious of. Wardrobe, all these different decisions, like, we work directly with the people that are making these decisions, but then we also have to run it all by the client. And then there's the, you go into like the audio mix and the voiceover record, and that's, again, it's like a lot of times when we're doing a VO record, like I'm the one who's giving the direction to the person who's in the booth. So I'm like, all right, let's slow it down, or like let's make it a little bit more upbeat. You know, can we do it in a more conversational tone? We don't want it to sound like you're just like another movie announcer in a world. <laughs> so there's like, there's all these different nuances that kind of end up happening, and I think that, you know, being a young professional, Going to an agency where there is that kind of mentorship and where the people who are, you know, whether it's like the mid-level copywriters or the ACDs or whatever it is, that they understand the value in bringing the younger teams along to those kinds of experiences goes a really long way because you don't really understand how that whole process goes until you've seen it firsthand. Yeah. And that's where I think it can be really valuable to make sure that like you're in an environment where they are fostering that learning from a very early time. Because even if you go to a portfolio school, you've never been on set with a director before. You've never had to work with a client to figure out why they hate the, the khakis over the corduroys, right? It's all these different things that are these nuances that like it really takes experience with and 
And I definitely would recommend, you know, for a lot of people that are listening and that are trying to break into the industry, it's like, you know, when you're interviewing, when you're talking to these, these agencies, it's as much about you interviewing them as them interviewing you. And I know that's hard to hear when you're like, I just want to get a job. I just need to start paying off my student loans. I just need to like get in and start working. But it is really important to ask those questions like, you know, what kind of experiences are there for juniors or for interns to be able to go and go on shoots or to be part of the creative process from beginning to end? Um, those things that are really going to develop the skills that you need when you continue to go, you know, further into your career that are going to make you the most successful creative or, you know, industry professional as possible. I think you kind of just answered my next question, but uh, maybe not. So if you can go back and tell your college self some advice, you know, your senior year, you're, you're thinking about where you're going to go, what you're going to do, knowing all that you know now, what would, what would you tell yourself? Uh, yeah, I think I would... I think I would say it's really important to um, consider the place that not only you're starting, but every, every move in your career is going to play a different role in the way that you kind of develop. And I think that I would tell myself, like, it's important to really look at each opportunity individually. and and try and decide what it is that you want to kind of get out of that before you go into it. Like, for me, I knew that with my first job, I really wanted to build my portfolio, and I wanted to make sure that I had, um, you know, three or four different kind of campaigns that I've worked on, different brands that I've been exposed to, but I didn't really think about the whole process of, you know, what kind of hours I wanted to be working or what kind of teams I wanted to be a part of. And I think that it's, the more that, it's really hard when you're, when you're just getting into the industry, but the more that you can think about, all right, is this going to be a good environment for me? Am I going to be learning? Like that's the most important thing when you're starting a career. Is like, are you able to, are you in a position where you are set up to learn and to be successful? Because I think that there are certain places that are gonna say like, we want results right now, but they've never taught you how to do it. And I think that really um, giving yourself that, that kind of space to, to know that there's still so much that you don't know and, and, try and try and just take every single kind of day and every single new project and every you know, curveball that gets thrown your way as an opportunity to really to learn and to develop more of that, those skills that are going to help you later in your career. I think it's, it's easy to just be like, oh man, I don't, my writing isn't good enough, or, oh, you know, they pick someone else's idea over mine. And those are things that I think are natural when you are getting into, you know, a creative field or when you're getting into advertising where it feels like, oh, maybe I'm not as, as good as I know that I can be, but that, that really takes time. And I think that not being so hard on yourself and allowing, allowing yourself the opportunity to learn and know that, like, all right, you're not going to get fired if you don't have the best idea, right? It's like they want to see you coming up with different ideas. They want to see that you are passionate. And every single time that they pick someone else's idea over yours, taking that time to really break it down and be like, all right, what made that stronger than mine? Did I have that idea, but I didn't, didn't see it all the way through? Like that happened a lot to me when I was very early on. I'm like, I don't know if any of this is good. And then they'd pick an idea that I had that I didn't present. And I was like, well, why didn't I present that? And I think like really kind of trying to work backwards and break down some of those reasons 
why certain things are happening can be really valuable. I had this roommate for a number of years and she would come back every single day and she would write down in this journal, she'd write one thing that she learned and one thing that she wanted to do better the next day. And it's just, I think it's a really nice way to reflect on the challenges that you're facing, but also make sure that you're learning from each one of these little setbacks that you have or the obstacles that you find in your way. Because the more that you're able to really kind of deconstruct that kind of stuff, the, the stronger your work will be next time or the better you'll be on the next project that you have. And that's really important, especially when you're starting your career, is to just know that like every, the one opportunity that you have right now might feel like it's the biggest and the most important opportunity and maybe the only opportunity that you'll ever have, but I assure you that there will be more. So even if it doesn't go perfectly, how do you take that and, and really use that momentum to fuel the next one that you get? Great advice. So for anyone listening um, who is interested in getting in touch with you, maybe asking a few questions, what's the best way people can reach you? I would say shoot me an email on my personal email, uh, tylerkirsch at gmail.com. That's T-Y-L-E-R-K-I-R-S-C-H at gmail.com. I really want to get into voiceover. <laughs> you should. It would be awesome to be able to do that someday. Or maybe I'll just start doing a, uh, a podcast. You actually should. Not for, uh, not, for, not for students. We'll do people that are out of the industry. On the, I don't know. We'll do that. But yeah, no, the best way to get a hold of me is definitely to just contact me in my personal email, tylerkirsch at gmail.com. And uh, I might not respond immediately, but I will definitely get back to you. Um, and if I don't get back to you, then just email me again. And that just means that it got lost in the shuffle. And I'm sorry in advance. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler, thank you so much for sitting down. Yeah, dude, really thank you. It. This was really fun. Thank you. Yeah. What's up, everybody? Before we go, if you want to hear and learn more about the ad industry, make sure you check out our other episodes in the podcast. If you're interested in being a guest, you can email academicspodcast at gmail.com. And thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Feel free to like, leave a review, post it on any and all social channels. You can find us on LinkedIn and Instagram at academics, or you can find me personally at Justin D. Barnett. I'm Justin D. Barnett, and you've been listening to the Academics Podcast.